You know, this year, I, I must admit, I've, I finally got around to something. You know, I've been here a little over four years now. Um, but if you remember, something kind of big happened in the last four years where kind of all plans and all, all timing kind of makes no sense anymore. We had the pandemic. So, you know, we got into town and, and you know, uh, with the little ones, they got their kind of pediatric doctors. And, and, but I just never quite got my physician and then once the pandemic started, it's like, well, if you need urgent care, that kind of thing. But it's kind of weird to start trying to find a, a regular doctor for yourself. So I finally made it to a, an actual kind of here's your doctor this year. And, and okay, let's do all the blood work. Let's do all the tests, see how, how everything's going. And there was uh, only two things on there that like, well, you know, if, if you want to get a little bit better at these two things, and they were uh, calcium and potassium levels. And so maybe you all know for yourselves whatever your vitamins or minerals are. And one of the things that was really weird for me was like, oh, okay, well, you know, you could maybe drink milk with calcium or whatever you kind of do. Um, I'm not a huge banana fan. Maybe you are. I, it's just not me. So I was like, well, what about the, you know, the supplements? The potassium supplements, though, are something really weird about them. Uh, the daily percentage value of potassium tablets are always tiny. This thing here, you take the one pill a day and it gives you 2% of the potassium that you need in the day. You're like, what on earth is the point of 2%? And it's regulated so that it's not supposed to give you more. And I'm not sure the chemical reasoning behind it, but it, it's a weird thing. You're like, well, this does you no good, really. Uh, 2% versus none, I guess, is a little bit. Um, but it's interesting that the question of like, well, are you taking your minerals? We usually take, say, vitamins. But it's a weird thing of our bodies that you have a certain amount of metal you need to digest. We thought about that like, it's not just living matter that we eat, but we need uh, calcium and potassium and sodium and magnesium and iron and iodine and all sorts of odd things. You're like, why does my living body need a bunch of weird metals as nutrients? And it's a reminder, we've been talking through a series about cosmic Christmas of like, we ourselves are a part of this great cosmic universe. The very elements of the universe are a part of us. And so I, I think there was no way possible, um, you know, the, the early, like there's a bunch of creation stories in the Bible. We've been reading through John 1, which is one version of that story. Genesis 1 has a different story. Genesis 2 has a slightly different version. They, they have a lot of beautiful meaning, and it's not always meant to just be taken woodenly, literally. Uh, as an example, day three of creation, there's vegetation and plants, and day four, you get the sun, and it doesn't quite make scientific sense. Uh, but something different is probably at work. But something literal that's in the text that I've always found fascinating that they never could have appreciated what they were saying was in Genesis 1 that says, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind. That earth with all these weird elements and these chemicals, let it bring forth the beauty of all this life that we see. And in Genesis 2, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living being. That earth has a history. It's a part of this cosmic story. And strangely enough, we would not have all of those weird elements that give us uh, our, ourselves without some weird history of the universe. Uh, we talked in our doomsday sermon topic 
about how black holes eventually erupt, um, but stars as well. Eventually, they start churning certain small elements into bigger elements, and eventually they blow those out into the universe. And so all of these metals and, and these big chemicals have a long history that become a part of our history. And so I was thinking about like the beauty of our bodies and the challenges that is our bodies. Beauty is, is everywhere in us. I was looking at the, the stats about our, our bodies and our DNA and our genetics are kind of mind-boggling. We've been talking about time as mind-boggling. Our bodies are also mind-boggling. Our DNA is composed of 3.16 billion base pairs in every single cell of your body. That is a lot of base pairs. How many cells in our body? About 30 trillion cells in our bodies. That's a lot of genetic information. And what's crazy about that, because you know, everyone probably knows that double helix, you know, that little spiral thing that our DNA looks like. If you were to get one cell of your body and unwind all of that genetic material and stretch it out, every single cell of your body, that DNA is over six feet long, which doesn't make sense. How is it so small? And if you were to stretch out, which would, I do not recommend this for yourselves, but if you were to stretch out your DNA from every cell of your body, it would stretch to the moon, but not just to the moon, to the moon and back 150,000 times. Somehow all of that is contained within you. And yet, that beautiful mechanism that God uses to bring about our very selves sometimes lets us down. Sometimes that, that DNA process doesn't result in the pregnancy that we wanted, making it to term. Sometimes it results in, in some irregularities and some birth defects that, that cause everything from inconveniences to great suffering for people. Sometimes that genetic material just like for all of us, eventually just breaks down. Aging starts getting more apparent. Tumors start. Diseases emerge. And eventually our bodies break down. And we are left in the midst of the beauty and the pains of our bodies. And so it is in that story that I want to read our text for today. And we've been reading through this text from John chapter 1 in this great poem of who God is in the creation of all things. So hear this from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself wasn't the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. 
But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will, or of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This text talks about the creation of all things and the beauty of it, and yet that creation has some of its problems. It doesn't seem to recognize God. It it rejects God, and and there's definitely more problems than, than only that, but that is the root of all problems. But it also talks about the possibility for ourselves. And so today I want to talk about the beauty of the possibility of what might be when we choose to receive and to trust. This text says that while some people did not accept God, who pushed God away, it said to those who received him, who trusted him, he'd give them the power to be children of God. I want to talk about what is it to receive God. I think for some of us, we want to think to receive God and to trust God. We want it to just be really passively, did I believe the right things and that's it. If I believed the right things, well, I've received him and I've trusted him and and we can move on. Let's just get to the good stuff. Let's get to the blessing, the power, the possibility. But what on earth is it to receive Jesus? In this story, it's the story of God entering into the world and and people receiving him. It's, It's a story of hospitality. It's the story of someone has shown up on your doorstep unexpected. What did you do? Did you talk through your ring camera? Did you slightly open the door? Did you kind of like open it up, but you're, you're blocking it? You know, your body language? Yeah, what did you need? Did you welcome them in and say, hey, let me get, do you need some tea? Do you need some coffee? you need some water? Can I get you something? There's something super powerful about hospitality, about being welcomed. I, I always remember that uh, in college, I went to Serbia on a mission trip, and we had some, some gifts for an orphanage. And we, everywhere we went with gifts for people, everywhere they received us, and they made us feel like we were the ones getting gifts on that occasion. Here, sit down, sit down, let me get this for you. And they're bringing you more and more things. You're like, truly, it's enough. I, I'm just here to bless you. But the welcome, the receiving was important. And so what I wonder is, is how many of us receive God, not just, okay, I'll believe the right thing, but I will receive Jesus. Because receiving someone, hospitality means I don't mind being associated with this person. Somebody might see you here, please, maybe we'll sneak them in. But have you received Jesus in your life in a way where you're like, I don't mind if people know that I've welcomed you into this place. I want people to know you're here you matter. There's a place for you. And so for some of us, we want to keep our beliefs hidden. We don't really want people to know who we are. Yeah, it's awkward. Do I have to say anything about what I believe? But what is it to welcome God, receive him fully? And to let the world know of that hospitality, to let the world know of that light that you've brought in. What I'm conscientious of is something that happens every week for us uh, that we we don't always name out loud, but we we continue to remind ourselves is that every week the cafe for us 
is one of those times where we say, hospitality isn't just a nice thing. Jesus said that when you clothe the naked, you've clothed Jesus. When you fed the hungry, you've fed Jesus. And so, if you want to know how to receive Jesus, part of that answer is how are you receiving people around you? How well are you welcoming them? How well do you make them feel like they are human and fully present and matter and they belong? When we receive those around us, we receive even Christ himself. He doesn't just say in this text that to get the power to become children of God, you need to receive him. It also says you need to believe or trust. And if you've ever heard that word used in the Bible, you tend to hear this tension. The same word that means belief can also mean trust. And you're always kind of wrestling with which aspect of that word do I want to come out in this. And so I think there's a difference between believing something kind of mentally assenting, oh yeah, I kind of think it's true, um, versus trusting. As an example, you might have different beliefs right now about uh, the value of cryptocurrencies. It, it exists as a system that says there's monetary value based on whether other people will agree that there's monetary value. But it's not simply whether enough people say, yeah, I believe it has value. You have to trust it by putting money into it. And your trust in it is the buy-in that actually proves that somebody believes that it has value. And in the following weeks after FDX and all of its issues, we've seen that there's not only a lack of belief in the market right now, there's a lack of trust in it too. But if you thought about that for your lives of like, how well do I believe in God? Do I actually trust God where I would put all of myself in? I'd say some people are saying the stock exchange of God is collapsing. But are you investing your life, your belief, your free time, your very being, God, I trust you that there's something of value here. Even when I hear people saying something else, I, I believe today. To those who trusted in Jesus, it was not such a simple thing because for them they were proclaiming Jesus is the son of God. He's the savior of the world. He's the king of kings. And it wasn't simply that they just had this nice religious spiritual feeling, but the Romans were hearing all of these proclaim, proclamations and saying, wait a minute, that's Caesar. Caesar is supposed to be the savior of the world. Caesar is supposed to be the Lord of all. Caesar is, Caesar is supposed to be king of kings. What on earth is it to trust Jesus, the crucified person? He's the savior of the world. What is it to trust, not in those who seem powerful, but to trust in God? It says in the text that if you accept him and if you trust in him, he would give you the power to become children of God. I think it's interesting that it doesn't just say that to those who accepted him and who trusted in him, you are children of God. It, it gives that little bit of vantage point of he gives the power to become children of God. That there is an element of, of responsibility for us. Do we want this for ourselves? Do we accept it? There's a, a, an aspect of waiting, of, of anticipation, of eagerness. 
of what might be that we're starting to realize but is not fully here. The power to become children of God. And I love that it starts to try to understand what does it mean to be a child of God by saying a bunch of things that it doesn't mean in the text. To all who received him and believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of will or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Born not of blood. Some of you have been blessed with some amazing family by blood. You're proud of them. You put your, their photos up. You don't, you'll, you'll talk about them. You'll call them. You might get together with them. And, and for some, maybe you don't have that family by blood. That you're like, you know, they've let me down. They've hurt me. They've ignored me. I've never felt like I belonged. We all have different experiences of what it means to be children by blood. And um, maybe some of you feel like you've had extra blessings on this, and I'm not sure who wins the award for most siblings in the room. I, I have a thought maybe Ron might win best uh, most siblings in the room. Uh, you, there's one of 10, 10. Uh, I was looking at the amazingness of our bodies and our lives and ourselves. Every human couple uh, has the potential to produce 60, more than 64 trillion genetically unique children. I don't know what to do with that number. The base pairs of your, your genetic match, you can have over 64 trillion genetically unique children. I know a lot of moms are saying no. We are not having 64 trillion children. But all of that possibility by blood is still smaller than the possibility of what it means to be children of God. You actually know what it's like to see identical genetic makeup. When we have identical twins, you're like, wow, we had the same genetic makeup, and yet there's still difference. There's still possibility. There's difference sometimes that it expresses itself in all these different ways, but it's even more spiritually that God grows in us who we are, who we're called to be in different kinds of ways, and that beauty just flourishes more than by blood. The text says that we are not children just by will. Some of your greatest Family in life is the family that you choose. People who've shown up to you when you need it. People who've been there for you, who love you, who care for you. But sometimes that will goes in opposite directions. And suddenly they're not there for you anymore or you've left. And that pain exists. Sometimes that pain makes you not want to trust again, not want to take on more family by will, not by blood. And so some of us, we run to other kinds of families. We create different things that we, we want to belong somewhere. And so uh, we're, we're children of God, not by blood, not by will. We are not children of God by political party or by what school we went to or our income or our skin color or all sorts of things that we want to say, hey, this is my family. But to those who accepted him, who trusted in him, he gave the power to become children of God by the will of God. Being born of God, not by anything else. 
That's what made the church the powerful thing that burst onto the scene because people of different tribes came together and said, you know what, we are brothers and sisters. When you had a, a society of some people are free, some are slaves, when society said that men get these gifts and possibilities and women get something else, Paul talks about, for in Christ Jesus, there is no longer slave or free, male and female, no longer Gentile or Jew. But the church brought all of those divisions down into the unity of what it was to be a child of God. And so, even though, like even just for each parent, there's so many genetic possibilities of children, we are going to flower into so much more possibility with God. And I love that, you know, the Genesis 1 story was, hey, you were made in the image of God. John 1's story is not only are you in the image of God, but you are the children of God. Not just the statue in the temple of the gods of, okay, God made this great universe, which is his temple, and he placed the statue of the gods, the image as humans into the midst of it. But you are the children of God. You are loved. You are welcomed. Uh, as we go into Christmas, you think about giving gifts and being generous towards. You are not just an image, but a child. And the beauty of that picture. That is not the way that usually people like to rule. That's not what Caesar wants from the world. He wants slaves. He wants obedience through conformity, not creating this beautifully diverse universe of possibilities and saying, I, I want to freely love this and freely receive them. In this story, I love the beauty that it doesn't say that that if you accept Jesus today, if you believe in him and you trust in him, you will become a child of God. It says you will become children. You, the group. The Texas in me wants to say all of y'all are children of God. There's something powerful of saying it's not about you getting to be the only child of God. And it's not that Jesus wants to be the only child but you get more gifts, right? You, you don't have to split all this Christmas stuff up with other people. But the beauty is that the family wants to extend into all of this possibility. And so you enter into this faith, not just to become close to God, but to become close to everybody else too. That no matter what the earth has allotted you in your time so far, no matter what blood relatives that you had, no many no matter what your friendships are, no matter what your kind of families by will are, you have the possibility of being a part of God's family with everyone around you. And so we enter into that hope, which Paul talks about, which we read earlier from Romans. If we consider the sufferings of this present time, it is not worth comparing with the glory that's about to be revealed in us. The possibility, the power of that. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. It means not just you are really hopeful for that revealing, but the people around you, 
the earth itself, the universe is like, please hurry up. We want the revealing of the children of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. Anybody want to be set free from the bondage to decay? And will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not just creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We trust that the pains of the present are not the pains of death, but the growing pains of a pregnancy, of a new birth of creation itself, fully emerging as God intended. So whatever pains, whatever groans that you've got in your life right now, I invite you to consider how you accept and receive God in the midst of that. Say, God, I trust you that you are going to make in me and through me at some point the fullness of this new creation, the fullness of possibility. And so as we conclude today, I want to give you that image. Out of all possibilities, you think about those trillions of genetic possibilities that existed when your parents had you, you exist as you are. Out of those countless possibilities you exist, please do not take yourself for granted. It is a cosmic blessing that you exist. And just as that is true, I encourage you to look around you, to see the others around you and say, out of the cosmic possibilities of what could be, they exist and they matter. And it's so blessing to our lives that they exist. And out of the possible universes that could exist, what is it to praise and celebrate that a God who loves you is the God who exists. Not a, a God of violence, not the thunder God who wants to strike you down, but the God who loves you and wants to make you family. And that's reason to celebrate. That's reason to be hopeful. That's reason to say there is good news. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we ask that you might move in us and through us and around us. Lord, we thank you for the blessings in our life, for the ways in which we've already seen your light and your hope at work in us. Lord, we ask that you'd make us more mindful of those blessings, that we would be more grateful and gracious to those around us because of that. Lord, for all who feel worthless and empty, Lord, we ask that that mistruth, that, that falsehood might vanish, that the light would conquer, that darkness would not overcome it. And Lord, we thank you for the life that you've brought to each of us. Lord, we ask that you might be with us this week, that we might 
see those around us as family, as brothers and sisters, not as enemies. Lord, let our our world look more like your household, your kingdom. May this coming season of, of Christmas be one where no matter what pains people might experience by those who aren't present, Lord, help us to to not feel those pains as emptiness alone, but as birth pains as we wait for the fullness of time and the fullness of creation. Let us set our hope in Christmas on your light coming into the world today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.